Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Today, we are going to talk about humor. So we've been talking about communication tactics to kind of disarm kids or keep their internal systems more neutralized. We've talked through quite a few. So they're the past few episodes, the last being, what did we talk about last? We talked about choices. Today, we're going to go into humor. Humor is probably my favorite and most used communication tactic because it serves many purposes. So let's start with the benefits of using humor. Well, it's been evidenced to add joy and happiness to our lives. Shocker there. They do say laughter is the best medicine. It generates more optimism. You're happy. That makes sense. Reduces stress levels. Also makes sense. Increases confidence, self-esteem, and enthusiasm. Essentially, they're going to motivate kids and maybe adults. (laughs) it helps us to enjoy and kind of take part in this more playful aspect of life. And life is, at least in the the Western world, pretty heavy, Uh, lots of stuff going on. And we could use more playfulness. It also helps people to accept and handle differences better, lightens the mood. And it helps kids counteract uh, when, when they're dealing with things like teasing and changing schools and moving to new neighborhoods, kind of, kind of heavier stuff of childhood. And it also develops um, critical thinking skills, communication skills, creativity, and the best part of using humor and communication to get kids to comply. Humor takes us from the emotional brain. So say like child having a major meltdown into the logic and rational brain, the prefrontal cortex. So by using humor in your communication, we take kids from a very maybe emotional, emotionally unstable state to more logic and reason. And when we do that, we can then guide them. We can redirect them. We can communicate with them. We cannot do those things when they are stuck in their emotional brain. So this gets us up there quickly. And if we are using humor, not only are they getting back into their thinking brain and they're having more fun, we are too. Because who, who is like mad when they are using humor? So what does this strategy look like? Okay. One, the harder part of using this is there's no script for it. There's no formula I can give you, but I can give you a couple helpful tips and tricks that might get you there. So when I'm using humor, it obviously depends on age. You're going to use humor very differently for a primary school student versus a high school student. You've got to think about what is appropriate for your age group. What would make high school kids laugh? What would make middle school kids laugh? What would make primary school kids laugh? 
my go-to since I'm often working with uh, early childhood primary and immediate schools is to make objects talk. When kids don't want to listen, put on their shoes, put on their coat, write their name on the piece of paper, do an activity. I make something around that moment talk. Maybe the seat is talking because they don't want to sit in their seat. Maybe their coat is talking because they don't want to put on their coat. Maybe their pencil is talking. I remember one kid, the, the teacher's like, the biggest problem we have is just, he always eats his, his like snack and junk food first in his lunch. And he doesn't eat all of his other like healthy things. Um, and when we try and take the, the snacks away and just leave the healthy things for him to eat first, he has a major breakdown and major tantrum and the whole lunch period is, is ruined. So, uh, for sake of having, you know, two adults, to 20 kids, they just let him eat whatever he wanted, which meant he never, ever ate the good things. So what I did was I used humor to get him to comply. What did I do? I made his tummy talk about how sad it was because it didn't have the grapes and just wanted a grape and please just try a grape. And he ate a grape. And then I used the same strategy and the tummy talked about how happy it was. It had the grape. It felt so good. And then all of a sudden he had eaten the entire bag of grapes. So, you know, that whole interaction took me, I don't know, 30 seconds, one minute Come up with a, a thought on how I can add humor to that moment. Did it. He is laughing. He's complying and he's finished his whole thing of grapes in like a minute or two. So it's great because it can be used and utilized like anywhere, home, school, wherever community. And it doesn't take a whole lot of energy and effort and it can be usually exchange pretty quickly. So making things talk is my default. Sometimes I'll do like funny voices or I'll move my body in funny ways, or I will do like sing-songy or like even um, like impressions or like impersonations. And I am not comfortable acting. I do not think that I have a great voice for impersonating characters or things, but doing it makes the kids laugh. Even if I don't sound good. So it works for me. And it really just takes a step into probably some level of discomfort to be able to do that because you feel a little bit like an idiot, but it works and everyone's happy and everyone's laughing. All those happy endorphins are being released into my system and the child system. So it just benefits everybody to kind of let down your guard and just be a little bit vulnerable and step into that. I will say, if you really struggle with it, the something you could do, and I've done this and it was very uncomfortable at first, but I'm so grateful I did it was adult improv classes. A lot of communities will have adult improv classes now anymore. You could probably even do them online. And they're, they're people that uh, attendees aren't typically like actors. They're just people that are you know, looking for something new or fun to learn. And I swear to you, if it's like a 60 minute class, you're going to laugh the entire class because everybody is funny when, when you are given these like scripts and prompts and, and improv things to try and to do in front of the group, which is uncomfortable because you have to get up in front of people and be a part of a skit or do it by yourself or whatever it is, but everyone's doing it. So everyone looks silly and everyone's funny and you're just laughing. It's the best. I mean, it was the best hour of my life for like a good, I don't know if I did it six weeks or 12 weeks or how many weeks I did it, but it was awesome. So think about how can you add humor? Is it funny voices? Is it funny body movements? Is it acting like animals? Is it telling funny jokes? Is it using gifts or memes? Is it animal videos? Like just integrate more humor to balance out all of the heavy in our lives. Um, and this one's a, again, a little bit hard because there's no script. So if you're really struggling with a certain child, certain area, certain part of day, maybe think ahead 
and think to yourself, okay, how can I use humor tomorrow when this happens? Cause I know it's going to happen again. Cause it happens every day or it happens frequently and kind of plan ahead. So you know how to respond in the moment and you aren't in the moment, like pausing, waiting, thinking, wasting time and not, not doing anything. Cause it, it can be tricky. And then once you practice it and you use it, you get comfortable with it, it comes more naturally to you. It's like any skill set you just get better at it, the more that you use it. So don't forget all those added benefits to humor. It gets you back into the thinking brain, helps you release happy endorphins and all the other things that I listed in the beginning of the episode to share why humor is so beneficial and so powerful. And I'll even go a step farther or further to like if I'm validating a child, like I'm validating their, their strong feelings, they have these like strong negative feelings or they, they want something like, like grocery store or other grocery store or any store and kid wants something. I, I have to say, no, we're not getting it. Instead of just saying, no, I validate them. I can hear how badly you want that thing. And sometimes that will diffuse them and sometimes not. So sometimes I'll use humor to exaggerate my validation to really drive the point home. Like, oh, I bet you wish you could have all of them in the store. Or I bet you wish you could have an entire store full of them. Or I bet you wish you had a magic closet that you could just pull them out of whatever it is they want. So by taking that and exaggerating it and adding a, adding a humorous element to it, typically that will make them giggle and laugh. It will diffuse them. It will bring their internal state back down. And then I can reason with them. And typically that alone is enough to, to just bypass them even wanting the thing to begin with. So it works really well. You can get really creative in how you use humor. A lot of people have shared different strategies they've used that have been so amazing. And again, like it just adds some light to a very heavy world and a very heavy time in society. And I really don't see the downside to, to using this. So think about how you can integrate humor with your kids, your family, your school, whoever, however, in whatever way feels right to you. And that takes us to today's listener question, which is how to best figure out the need or the root cause of why a child is behaving poorly. Some might say badly, AKA what, what triggers that behavior? So my answer to this is determining the underlying need. And I did a whole series on this. I have blog posts on this. I also have blog posts on all the communication tactics. I also have an entire course on all of this, on the five needs and a course on the communication tactics that go into a whole lot more detail and coach you through how to come up with these responses for your own setting. So the, the first thing I'm going to say is go either listen to read, get that course, because it will help you determine what are the five needs areas. And if you know the five needs areas, you can start to categorize certain behaviors into those needs areas. And once you have that figured out, you can put something in place that will meet the need. When the need is met, the behavior is no longer needed. Here's an example today on a call. Teacher telling me how this child is like super disruptive and unkind to the peers. And as she's kind of describing how this particular peer is acting, I'm like, oh, it's so clear to me. This child is, is like just desiring the relationship attachment need. She wants to feel a part of the group. She wants to interact with her peers. She has never been exposed to peers much prior. Like she's the first time in school and doesn't have any siblings and isn't around really like cousins or relatives. 
she just doesn't know how to interact with these kids because no one has taught her this skill set. She hasn't practiced it. So she's using like really inappropriate behaviors that do get the attention of her peers in a very negative way. And she's really disrupting that relationship, the attachment bond, but that's what she's deeply desiring. So, okay. Now I know she desires to have a relationship with these peers. So let me give her a way to do that. That's more appropriate. I do that. She tries it. It works. Now she's doing a thing I want her to do. I think that's building the relationships, not disrupting them. So it becomes pretty easy once you can figure out the need area that's not getting met, put something in place to meet the need behavior goes away. So much more of that in all the other content I just described. It's a great strategy to have tucked into your back pocket because it can be applied to just about every situation. All right, to wrap up our show, let's talk about our tried at home tip. This is, wow, this one was profound to me. Do a lot of work. Actually, I have a course on this too. So profound. I thought I would develop a course around this room design, how changing elements of your room. And that could be classroom. It could be home. It could be bedroom. It could be whatever really can impact your stress levels and how certain elements can increase it the stress levels and certain things that we can do will decrease. So here's one that's going to decrease your stress levels, leave white space on your walls, leave like empty space on your desk, leave parts of the room that are a little bit more empty or don't have a lot of things in them because here's why. And and here's like the opposite. I think of a primary classroom or even like a, a middle or high school where these like anchor charts or these charts or these posters, these bulletin boards, and there's just stuff on every inch of the wall around the room. And it's very like standards for the most part for that to be the case. And that's so detrimental to this, the stress response and the sensory parts of the brain. Cause when there's all this stuff all over the wall, the brain has to kind of take it in and dissect it and process it every time it walks into the room or every time it sees it, even if we're not, you know, we're, we're not consciously aware of this. So when you create and you leave white space, empty walls, when the eyes go over and look at those empty walls, that white space helps to settle their brain, settle their sensory system, helps them to think more logically, rationally, helps them find more clarity and creativity. The space there essentially frees up mind space, that white space. So we want that. We need that in a world that's overstimulated. Some white space is good. So think about like, what was that? The op- it would be the opposite of like technology or gaming or screen time because there's so many fast moving parts and colors and sounds. White space is what counterbalances that. So <laughs> um, include if you don't already have some whites. It doesn't need to be physically white. It just needs to be like empty space. I mean, better, better if white, but empty space lets the mind rest. So more white space. And that's it for today's episode of returning to us podcast. Remember our try to help tip, which is add more white space to your space. And if you want me to answer one of your questions on a future show, email me at podcast at the or text me 717-693-7744. And I'm going to ask you to put a comment or a thought below of either a bigger, a big takeaway or what you're going to try from this episode or what you've learned. Um, so that we can lock it into your brain and get you to actually take it home, take it to school and use it right away. 
Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thank you for joining me. Thank you.